0: Yeah, there is something about Shakespeare. There's something about that reversal of fortune that can happen um, in his plays, and and I did see um, this really interesting parallel with Macbeth. Um, you know that the book also takes on um, because Miranda is. She is directing All's Well, but she is living Macbeth off stage, you know, living this tragedy off stage. And and there are parallels between those two stories, you know. Macbeth also has desire um, that sort of gets ignited at the start of the play. And then he begins to follow this trajectory to claim his desire, which leads him down a very dark path, of course, Um, even though he does get what he wants, just like Helen. so yeah, I, it was just a, just Shakespeare's, these, these incredible reversals of fortune that happened in Shakespeare, I think. And that, that element of the supernatural that I just love playing with
1: Hi, welcome to our spring season, Ivory Tower Boiler Room members, and this is our first book club for the spring season. So of course, I'm joined with chief contributor, Mary DePippi. Hi, Mary. Hello. And we have the privilege, the honor to be joined by Mona Awad, the writer of Oswell, which I'm holding up here. So hi, Mona. Thank you so much for coming to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room.
0: Uh, hi, both of you. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm honored to be here.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I feel like our podcast name is actually a really good jumping off point for <laughs> Miranda, your protagonist's dilemma, yeah. obstacles, so many themes happening with Miranda and precarity in the novel. Yeah. So maybe just for everyone out there, how would you describe your protagonist, Miranda? in Oswell?
0: Um, That's a good question. I think, you know, she is, she's an actor. She's a performer by trade. Um, And and that is uh, something that she can no longer do um, when the novel starts because she was injured. Um, So now she's become a teacher and a director um, of these um, undergraduate students. And uh, she's struggling (laughs) um, with that. Um, And I think it makes her very dramatic, um, you know, at least inside herself. I think she's still performing um, for some imagined audience. um, So that really informed her voice for me. Um, And she's kind of, she's a bit of a tragic figure, but I think what saves her, um, at least for me, and what made it fun to write this character is, uh, I think that deep down she has a core of irony. Like she can't help but see her situation is kind of absurd. Um, and that really helped me um, kind of, you know, be with her through some very, very difficult parts of, uh, of the book. So yeah, yeah, I would say she is a she's a fundamentally um, ironic, wry nature. Um, yeah, I
1: like that, wry mm-hmm. Such a good <laughs> adjective. Um, well, and just for all of those out there, if they don't know, I mean, I just added it to my audiobook list because, Mary reads our book club choices, and I like to listen to the audiobook to get the different perspective. Yeah. But your critically acclaimed 2019 novel, Bunny, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. I added <laughs> it to my list to read and yeah. listen to right after All's Well, but right came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a similar, or did you have a way to transition from Bunny into as Well? Was there a type of thought process of the theme or the characters
0: yeah you know I mean I went through like a very severe depression after I turned in bunny um because uh, that book was just like a world that I was living in for a few years and it gave me a lot of joy I mean it gave me a, a lot of pain and fear too but it gave me so much joy um that when I handed it over I just felt so empty um inside and um and I'd had, I had a couple of ideas that I'd been playing around with. I'd been working with Shakespeare as a graduate student. Um, and I'd also been struggling with chronic pain. Um, and, you know, a- another piece is that I was, I, I had always wanted to rewrite a version of the film election, you know, um, which is based uh-huh. on a book by Tom Parada. Um, And I always saw that that, um, antagonism between, um, the students in the, in the, in the story, Reese Witherspoon's character, Tracy Flick. Oh yes. And, uh, yeah. Oh yes. Now I remember that movie. (laughs) Oh yeah. She,
1: she's antagonistic.
0: She really is. And, um, and then the teacher in, in that story is played by Matthew Broderick. Um, and he is, he is very, he kind of hates the student and he doesn't really understand why. I mean, he kind of does, but he doesn't. Um, And he sort of subtly sabotages her. And I always thought the story was very Shakespearean. um, And it it reminded me of All's Well That Ends Well quite a bit. Um, So I always thought it would be really, really fun to do a revision of All's Well, drawing from something contemporary, like the setting of election, um, where this teacher is kind of sabotaging his student (laughs) because he has this weird... Resentment, you know, and you don't really know where it's coming from. Is he jealous of them? Is he just? Is there just something about Tracy that really irks him? Um, and so that really informs uh, Miranda's relationship with uh, with her her student that she can't stand, mm-hmm. Anna um but yeah I just always saw that relationship between between all's well that ends well in election and then that was kind of I was like you know what I'm just gonna I'm gonna write it (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah I got out of my bunny depression so that was good
2: I do love that comparison between your novel Brianna and Miranda's relationship with Matthew Broderick's character Tracy because it is I mean you see it but I mean I feel like I see it more like why Miranda doesn't like Brianna yeah, more so than maybe Matthew Broderick not liking Reese Witherspoon, but in some ways though, I feel like because of that type of relationship though, and even though you are seeing it from Miranda's point of view, you kind of though agree with her and Uh you're kind of just like, yeah. Yeah, she's annoying. Like I can see why she doesn't like her at all. And yeah. she's manipulative. Like she's all she has all of these lists of bad qualities that it makes sense why yeah. she doesn't like her. But one thing that I found slightly not frustrating, mm-hmm. but was that that but also kind of refreshing at the same time is that Miranda has to remind herself that they're she says children. I was yeah. just like, wait a minute, they're in college, so they're technically like adults. So not children, but the fact that she's recognizing that she is the authority figure and that she can only behave a certain way towards her students.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's a really fun tension to play with because she she is the authority figure but she has no power. I mean, they are declaring mutiny on their teacher, you know. She stands in front of them and she is terrified. And, you know, I think I, I didn't realize, and I, I've talked about this before, but, you know, in interviews, but I didn't realize before I became a teacher just how um, vulnerable, uh, you know, that, that position really is, vulnerable making it is, to stand in front of a group of students like you actually are supposed to know things and be expert in things. I mean, you, you never fully feel that way, at least I don't, you know. Um, and so, and I didn't really understand that until I stepped on the other side of the desk, you know, mm-hmm. Bunny is mm-hmm. all about kind of the students like experience um, of that, that world, you know, the world of academia, but um, all as well as is interested in the vulnerability of, of the teacher's role. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm so glad that you have both perspectives of characterization, yeah. because you know, as a fellow academic professor, like I've had my own journey of now claiming more vulnerability in the classroom, of not like having boundaries, but also saying that I'm on this journey with you. And right now I'm doing a Broadway musical course. And oh awesome. Yeah, yeah. As we're recording this, there uh full of Stephen King Carey ideas, my students, because we're gonna look at that flop musical that I'm obsessed with. But, <laughs> uh, but I think something that really comes through in your narrative is just how in academia, there's so much, so many multifaceted layers like with tenure or with being an adjunct, um, not really knowing how someone gets to those positions. It's uh, like a labyrinth with um, an unknown treasure, well, a treasure map, and there is no actually known map for how to get to certain places. So, like, was that is that something you see yourself? Because you are a uh, professor.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I think I I think I really did. I mean, I you know I came into my job pretty late because I was a graduate student forever. Mm-hmm. You know, just forever. Have three um, post uh, postgraduate degrees, um, you know, and so three graduate degrees. I mean, and so so yeah, I didn't didn't really become um, uh, you know an assistant professor um, on on tenure track until just a couple of years ago. Um, So my experience of the hierarchies, when you enter into an institution and you're a visiting professor or, you know, you're a visiting writer, you don't really fully know, like, but you understand instinctively that there are these hierarchies going on, right? And that everybody is kind of responding to their own position in that hierarchy. So you can kind of you sense these tensions, but you don't necessarily know the intricacies and the nuances going on. And that was good for me as a writer to know only a little bit and for the rest of it to be mysterious, um, because I could sort of imagine the rest. Um, so that was that was really, uh, I think, important, that small bit of knowledge, but not like I, I, I wasn't like deep, deep in not not so deep in that I, I had maybe become, you know, not as entranced by it, you know. Um, so I think that was important for me as a as a writer.
1: Yeah, and like to follow up. Um, well, Mary and I have we met each other in musical theater summer camp. So like <laughs> we have performing arts backgrounds, and yeah. I always say teaching is if you have a performing background, you can understand the terrain easier because you really are presenting these different acting roles in the classroom or every area you enter in academia, it's almost (laughs) just trying to understand the craft of acting. So I was so excited of how Miranda gets hired and gets hired to not only, you know, teach from her actor perspective, but also she has to put on a Shakespeare play for the festival. Yeah. So like, how did you come to like, why Shakespeare? I mean, we love Shakespeare, but like, right. why was that the main vehicle for you?
0: Um, well, you know, the the story that I had kicking around in my head, like this kind of, um, really, it was All's Well that started it all. So it wasn't yeah. election. It was it was All's Well that made me think of election. Um, and uh, and reading that play as a graduate student, I was just I had the most visceral kind of violent response to it. Um, you know, I just thought. Helen, the main character, Helen, she was so strange to me, you know, um, such a strange character that I, I, I had never encountered before. Somebody who just openly discloses their desire at the start of the play um, and then proceeds in a very kind of trickster-like fashion to, to um, kind of, you know, upend the world of the play so that she gets what she wants um, by the end of it um, through trickery you know? Um, so somebody who starts off powerless, claims an agency for themselves, and then gets what they desire. It seemed almost too good to be true. It felt very fairy tale. Um, and I, I resented her for it when I first read the play. Um, but then I started to like her more and more. I couldn't get her out of my head. And she reminded me a lot of Tracy Flick. and um, And so I just think yeah, there is something about Shakespeare. There's something about that reversal of fortune that can happen um, in his plays. And, and I did see um, this really interesting parallel with Macbeth, um, you know, that the book also takes on um, because Miranda is She is directing All's Well, but she is living Macbeth off stage, you know, living this tragedy off stage. And and there are parallels between those two stories, you know. Macbeth also has desire um, that sort of gets ignited at the start of the play. And then he begins to follow this trajectory to claim his desire, which leads him down a very dark path, of course, Um, even though he does get what he wants, just like Helen. so yeah, I, it was just, a, just Shakespeare's, these these incredible reversals of fortune that happened in Shakespeare, I think. And that, that element of the supernatural that I just love playing with is what drew me to him for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I'm so entranced mm-hmm. just hearing you mm-hmm. describe your analysis of Shakespeare and all's well that ends well, such an interesting Shakespeare play that I think doesn't yeah. get often read because it's in that problem play category, right? It's not the comedy. It's not the tragedy. It's not a romance. Right. And even when Mary and I saw your cover, like and we were talking on the phone about it just because I think this is, you know, for the American edition, just I mean, even the texture of feeling mm-hmm. the pills um mm-hmm. on um, the mask, right, the ancient yeah. Greek comedy tragedy. But what I love is, the problem play is actually in the illustration of the mask, because it's not necessarily the comedic mask, and it's not the dramatic mask. It's this Mm
3: -hmm.
1: blurring of the boundaries. And I feel like there's some kind of story behind that, Mona.
0: (laughs) Well, um, you know, it was very, very important to me that the cover suggest um, Nick Beth, in some way, that gesture towards the fact that, yes, the story is called all's well. Yes, um, the book is taking on all's well. Um, All's well to some degree, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I wanted the shadow side of the book, which of course is also the Macbeth element of the book to be present in the cover. And that's when I think the designer thought of the idea of, of, okay, we'll make it more of a kind of like ghoulish looking mask um, and we'll add the the pills or what make up the mask. Which of course, Miranda, at the start of the book, is very reliant on pills because she's suffering from severe pain.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And that's another huge theme that you tackle: just pain, and also women's pain in general, and how it's either misunderstood or just not taken at all as seriously as it should be. I yeah. mean. You describe her going to multiple doctors and it's kind of funny because at one point she starts reading them off like the gospels because yeah. she's got john she's got <laughs> mark yep. and yeah, mark so which yeah. i loved i loved that yeah but then she has doctors who will say it's all in your head and yeah. it's like how do you tell someone who's in excruciating pain who can barely walk that it's all in their head i mean i've had pain caused by stress before. I know that when I'm very stressed out, I carry it in my hips, right. but never to that degree of pain, thankfully. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's very good. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's something that I, I have experienced myself because I struggled with chronic pain for a number of years um, and still do to some degree. Still really do. Actually, I probably will end up having to have like, another operation at some point. Um, But I I did have an operation um, a a number of years ago to deal with a a hip issue that I was having. And then that led to a a host of other problems uh, with my back and stuff. So I I really kind of, you know, know that terrain of, of surgeons and physiatrists and physical therapists and acupuncturists and that whole world, and I didn't have money at the time that 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 this was happening to me. I was a graduate student, so I was, you know, it was really costing me um, to pursue these, um, you know, these these different, uh, you know, medical paths. But I had to because I was I was in pain, you know, and I didn't know what to do. It was really impacting my life. But you know, I mean, it's one of those things that doesn't really get explored very often in in fiction. That kind of <laughs> low-grade pain, it's not an emergency, you're not going to die, but it, and, and, and for all intents and purposes, when somebody looks at you, you look fine, but Mm -hmm. your mobility is so severely impacted, it affects every aspect of your life, like, for me, I couldn't drive, I couldn't sit down, I couldn't, you know, um, I couldn't even lie down for long periods, I couldn't do anything, I couldn't do events, I had to cancel a number of, um, of events that, you know, I was already publishing at the time, And so it was affecting my relationships. It was affecting my job, you know, but at the same time, you know, again, not like this crazy emergency. I didn't have to be hospitalized or anything. It's just something I was living with that was like affecting every single aspect of my day-to-day life. And there are so many people who are dealing with that, that very thing, you know? Um, and so I just, I really wanted to write about that. Um, and, uh, And I really wanted to write about the fact that, you know, for women, especially, I think having to communicate that kind of pain, it it just, yeah, it's met with kind of a, just, well, you know, you got to just deal with it, you know, and, and that's true to a degree, but it's not especially helpful, you know, and that was the response that I would get time and time again. Um, and, and I remember just feeling so helpless and so frustrated um, and that's when I really decided that I wanted to write about it. It's that feeling of helplessness, um, and frustration is always for me the spark for like a new book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <It's> like, okay, <laughs> all right. Um, I'm going to write about this then if I can't do anything to help myself, I'll at least write a story, you know, that'll make me feel better. So, and it did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And write about it. I mean, you did, especially, um, do you remember, Mona, who reads your book?
0: Yeah, Sophie okay. Amos. Uh, she also read Bunny. She's a great, great narrator.
1: Oh, good, okay. I'll be with her voice for a while. Um, <laughs> but she just captures miranda's the chronic pain that Mary's talking about with you so brilliantly, in my opinion, of, you know, really understanding how it doesn't just impact, of course, physically, but her mental health, which yeah. I think is so important
3: mm-hmm. to
1: see and read a protagonist like this, because like you said, usually in fiction, chronic pain isn't explored. Like I'm more used to reading, maybe if someone has um, a diagnosable mental right. health right. issue or like they're having a psychotic break Um, so it was just so interesting of how, you know, her dreams or feeling paranoid at work, like all of this somehow is all connected back to the chronic pain. And, you know, it's not like you can just take the pain away from all of the lived experience, like just separate into strands. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe what I'm trying to, think of as a question, (laughs) but (laughs) is just like, what was that experience? Cause I'm imagining it must have been intense when you were writing to Mm -hmm. really, or when I'm listening, I feel the intensity of each word of what she's going through. Like, do you remember what it was like to get that on the page?
0: Yeah, it was great. I mean, at first I was scared, you know, um, that I was going to be delving into stuff that was just going to be too hard to write about. Um, that I wouldn't be able to do it justice, that I would, you know, it's all the anxieties that you feel just uh, that I'm learning. I feel I should speak for just myself as a novelist when I'm trying to capture uh, a character's experience. I had the same feeling, even though I had gone through a lot of a lot of this stuff, I still felt scared that I wouldn't be able to capture it. Um, But what I leaned into and what really helped and what always helps me, again, is irony, (laughs) absurdity, Um, just thinking about people. If I'm just in um, a character's head, it's harder. But if I have somebody to work off of another character in the room to play with, it's so much easier. So um, characters like the physical therapist were so fun. Like Mark was great. Thank God for Mark, you know, Mark was somebody I could play with. And, and just amplify that feeling of powerlessness by creating this person person's just like, well, you know, I've got 23 minutes to help you. I've got a lot of patience. And the cruelty that, that is a consequence of that is just that. It's like, it's cruelty, but it's also just like this person is, is this is their job. Mm-hmm. Their job is to kind of march through a day of seeing X number of patients and having to just take them through whatever exercises they know how to take them through. And, and that's it, you know? And so, so just kind of leaning into that was really helpful. The character Grace, her colleague was another one, a great foil for Miranda. You know, it, it's just, it's really useful with characters who are experiencing like something intense, emotionally intense, physically intense, um, to have a counterpoint, um, to always sort of um, create tension that way, you know? Um, so so I really leaned into those dialogues and that's where I got a lot of my joy also in writing those scenes.
1: Yeah. Did you I think it's oh. also
2: interesting that like even even though she is going through all of this pain and stuff like there's also a criticism if you will of how people are treated once they start feeling better. Yes. Because you see some people are treating that treat her like, Oh, that's awesome. Like something's different about you. Like, you know, like Hugo, for example, but then you have people like Grace who are super skeptical and it's like, well, can't she like, I felt myself like getting angry with some of those people just being like, she's feeling better. Can you like, let her have this? Like, this is something that's been plaguing her life. It's a really dark thing that I think I kind of,
0: that might, you know, reflect my own misanthropy. Um, but I just think that we're kind of awful sometimes in that we we can't bear other people's pain mm. um but i also think that we can't bear other people's joy mm. sure. um that that like that's hard too in another way um it's almost like you you know if somebody's constantly moaning about their disappointments and failures you're like okay stop it but if they're like happy you're like what the fuck why are you happy you know like it's like it's that kind of thing it's just that human thing where we just like it grates happiness somebody else's happiness somebody else's sadness if it if it's communicated in a way that we're just not ready to take in and we just can't take it and grace was used to her friend being a particular way um and when that flipped you know, it revealed something, I think, um, about her own, like, you know, um, what she needs from that relationship. Maybe she needs Miranda to be that person. And Mm -hmm. she can't handle it when Miranda has uh, her own life back, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and that is something I kept questioning. Like, I mean, Mary seems like every, well, (laughs) it seems like Mary, you think everyone should have understood Miranda's pain. But I see the humanity in what you have, Mona, which is, I'll admit myself, I've had to put up boundaries when people are expressing pain to me. Like, I am fallible. I am not, (laughs) like, I'm not able to bear everyone's pain. Of course. Like, so like, I could relate a lot to how people are reacting to Miranda, because in a way, you have to protect your own sense of self. Yeah. And it's like, how do I communicate that Empathetically, but without taking on someone else's burden, and your novel really has me thinking of that, and not like seeing Grace as cruel. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I think she's human.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too.
1: You know, and again, I'm not saying Mary was like (laughs) putting her into like the Corella Deville camp, even though (laughs) I like Corella. But um... (laughs)
0: But yeah, I think that was a question that that the book is asking, that I was asking, and I think it's a it's something that comes up ethically for everybody, mm. when you share your pain with someone else, just the act of doing that, yeah. leave off the supernatural element of physically transferring it onto them, <laughs> just sharing it with them with words is an act of transfer. Mm-hmm. And that person is going to be affected by what you're telling them, you know, what you're sharing. And I mean, you know, you have to make choices about who you're willing to hear that from, you know how much you can bear, and and I I have to say writing about this made me so much more mindful of that mm-hmm. of 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 what happens when I share my pain, and a lot more selective <laughs> about about who I share it with, and also who I'll hear it from, you know, um, and I think that to some degree that's that's maybe necessary because you know we're all living with pain in some form right and there's only so much a person can take on but you also want to be a good friend and you want to be a good you know family member you want to be a good colleague you want to be a a good person you know sometimes it's just a stranger who's sharing their pain with you right you have to pick in the moment i think it's a very intuitive thing um based on how much bandwidth you have in a given day right um, but, but it is true that I think this book is asking that question. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and I feel like I'm reading this at a time when, um, you know, I have been so open and those who've listened to the podcast, Mary knows, like I've been so open about being an assault survivor and like going through a healing journey and trauma, like understanding my boundaries Right. And, but at the same time, because I am so public about it, I've also faced opinions that I don't agree with. Right. And advice about how I should live my life now that, mm-hmm. you know, I think what's hard is just to know like you are amplifying, like even your novel, it really amplifies those with chronic pain. Yeah. So like put, a you know, fictive face, but like, this is a real experience that people go through and that you yourself opened up about Mona. But at the same time, once you become so um, public.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, there's going to be opinions. So, right. It's like, how do you find your security of who you are? And yeah. I don't know your novel has me questioning a lot about mm-hmm. just interpersonal dynamics and relationships because yeah, I think communication is key. That's mm-hmm. what I've I think g- gotten out of your novel. Okay, hold on to that question because we'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. Yeah, yeah I
0: think so too. And I, I have to agree. I think you know, Grace it it comes off as cruelty in moments when Miranda really needs someone you know mm. because her she doesn't have anyone she she doesn't she literally doesn't have anyone grace is, is has become just by um, circumstance her person you know but Grace has boundaries, that's very, very clear. She's the kind of character who has boundaries. They're not even stated. They're just, they're so there just in her demeanor and her behavior and her way of being in the world. She's somebody who knows how to how to create some boundaries. And so, but for Miranda, it's, it's really, really hard that those boundaries were there. Um, but in the end, I think, and what I like about those two women is I think that they, you know, they ultimately do care about each other a lot. And I think that that comes through. Um, And that was important to show kind of like a, yeah, there there are things that people are not getting what they want in this particular relationship all the time, of course. And yet there's still like love there. There's still care there.
1: Um, And and they can resolve the conflict, which I think is actually Like Mm -hmm. these two women aren't pitted against each other in a traditional, like misogynistic way of, of course they don't, you can't have two women in this Mm -hmm. role succeed. So you really, I mean, I'm so glad that you create such a nuanced portrayal of their relationship because Mm -hmm. again, like I'm reading your novel and I see everyday examples of this behavior. It's, I mean, well- maybe not the Faustian bargain, but, maybe not, no. <laughs> <We'll get> to- <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, like Mary, do you want to follow up? Like, cause I know you're, you were really interested in the dynamic between Grace and uh, Miranda.
2: Yeah. Well, mostly cause I was like, not confused because mm-hmm. Miranda puts it very plainly in certain parts where she's like our relationship isn't what it used to be I mm-hmm. thought she was a friend but I don't know if I can call her that right now <laughs> and you can kind of see and this is why I'm annoyed with Grace <laughs> just because because Miranda starts out as trying to not let her injury be known yeah and then it gets to a point where she eventually does have to tell Grace because Grace can see very obviously that something yep. is wrong mm-hmm. and you know, that's why she tells her. And then at the same time, or after some time has passed, grace starts to like, for me, what I was seeing was I'm seeing someone who's getting annoyed at someone else's pain.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, like you said, I understand people have to have boundaries, but to be annoyed at, like, it just, again, came off like, I'm annoyed that you're in pain and why can't you just be better? And then it's like, she gets better. And then you're like, well, why the hell are you better? I don't get it. What the yeah. fuck happened? Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. Grace, you've been there. How, like, why? Like, she's the one person I just thought would actually be sort of like happy. Like, oh, holy shit. Like something finally worked. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I mean, I,
0: I agree. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a very human thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, like, be like, oh, why aren't you better? You're better. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with you you know like like it's like it's just one of those strange i don't know paradoxes of like human nature i i, I that i was interested in i was yeah. interested in that you know it's it's in my first book 13 ways too where this character um has these friendships when she's uh you know she sees herself as overweight you know the, the weight of the character is never disclosed but she sees herself that way and um And then she loses weight and her relationships with her friends are very different. Mm. Like her friends kind of like take advantage of her, um, you know, sort of use her. um, And then, and then when things shift, they are, they are not happy that she has lost this weight and that she has changed, you know, um, that her personality has changed. It's that kind of like, I don't know, that kind of irritation that you don't stay where you are even though I don't like who you are like or I'm taking advantage of who you are that that's what it is it's taking advantage Mm -hmm. of everybody right um but yeah those dynamics are so interesting to me um how like certain friendships are built on a kind of strange power dynamic and then when the power in that dynamic shifts it just throws everything off even if you're not necessarily happy in the previous dynamic or it's toxic or whatever. Mm -hmm. Still, when things shift, you're also not happy.
1: Yeah. This is resonating so much. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know I was gonna be, we were gonna be in our therapy session. (laughs) 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 Um, I feel like I have to bill you for the time, Mona. (laughs) Um, But I definitely, I mean, I had um, read some of your interviews when you were um, promoting 13 Reasons. And I think it's, it's 13 Reasons
0: Oh, 13 Ways of Looking at a 13 Ways. Yeah. Sorry,
1: 13 Ways. And what's the rest of the title? Ways
0: of Looking at a Faculty.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like in middle school, like I went through this growth spurt into being a freshman in high school right. um, and like lost a lot of weight and then saw how my invisibility and my bookish ways and kind of falling into books to just experience other worlds how i started to become noticed yeah. because of my appearance and it is it's a really and yeah. like i even went to um a doctor because like i started to limit my food intake and then like i think because i was a man struggling with body image the doctor suggested i just do push-ups and i'm mm-hmm. like my parents said but he's struggling with his body yeah. image like that's <laughs> Not um, what we need right now, but it was a lesson in like, well, gender and body image, but yeah, yeah I can relate so much to what you're talking about about just shifting dynamics. That's such yeah. an interesting theme. Like even when you start to own who you are authentically, yeah. I've seen how like when you don't need to rely on people to yeah. give you the confidence, it can really,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. level the
1: playing field.
0: Absolutely. And people don't know where they stand. Those people who used to know where they stand don't know where they stand anymore in your life.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. think.
1: Oh well.
2: Another dynamic I want to talk about real quick, because these yeah. three were my favorite in the book so far. The three men at the bar. Yeah. Yeah. I love them, especially yeah. the dude who will not look straight at her. Like I don't know what his deal is but there's something like again he's got that like mysterious type of element to him whereas the other two she can see and kind of you get your ideas about them from her point of view right yeah um excuse me
0: yeah bless you Um, bless you yeah 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 you you know that's based on a couple of things um of course the maiden mother crone of like the witches right because those the three men are the three witches of macbeth um and so the i you know how like the maiden mother crone can be um the two moons the two crescent moons with a full moon in the middle right so the, the middling man is sort of that full moon in the center and then the fat man is is you know the the waning moon and then the the thin man to me is kind of like the waxing moon on the other side um so i love the idea that his face is in profile and you know the fat man's always kind of got his like head on the bar like this um, which is which is based and I've said this before but it is based on a sighting um, that I had in Salem at a bar in Salem in the middle of the day of this man who was this man who was sitting there with his face on the bar drunk in the middle of the day and I thought I thought for sure it was Steve Bannon it looked just like him so I modeled um, the fat man the after Steve Bannon um, because I saw him that day, or so I thought. At the oh, like, like, he was in New Hampshire the day before. So he might have, might have been him. You know, who knows? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just love the idea of making, making the witches these three um, men. Um, Miranda's already in this kind of matrix of misogyny in the medical world. And I love the idea that when she tries to go beyond that, the the dealers of her fate are still these snake oil salesmen these supernatural <laughs> snake oil salesmen are still like these male entities you know and then there's this other there's this other kind of energy in the book this this other supernatural energy that's coming from ellie um sort of that, that functions as a counterpoint to that that very demonic energy that's coming from the three men uh, but they were so much fun to write. I just, I loved, loved writing those pub scenes so much with them. They were great. Mm-hmm. Witches are meant to be fun, you know, like the, in, in Macbeth. I love the different presentations of the witches, and I'd never seen three men before. Um, so I really wanted to do that because to me, that's that's scarier, yeah. you know.
1: Are you going? <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you going to see the new Broadway production directed by Sam Gold with uh, Ruth Nega? Um. Oh, cool. Yeah, Macbeth is coming back to Broadway soon oh, at the wow. end of the month.
3: That's
0: so exciting. Yeah. I'll make a point to try to go if I can. I
1: know. Cuz I'm curious. I'm always anytime I see a new Macbeth, I want to know what the witches are going to look like.
2: Yes,
1: yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cuz but I mean yeah. you just mentioned Salem. I feel like we can't let that go because <laughs> I'm obsessed. Well, I'll be in Boston next week for a conference about Poe and it's gonna be very supernatural, but I love Salem. Like, I think it just has such this artsy,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, artsy music, folksy, like just so many different vibes happening in Salem.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, but like, do you go to Salem a lot for creative inspiration?
0: Yeah, I do. I go all the time. Um, I go all the time. Like, uh, you know, I, I teach at Syracuse University so, but I still have a home base in Boston, so I'm not here in Boston as much as as you know as when I when I lived here and and just you know was teaching at, at UMass Amherst. Um, but I still go to Salem probably once a month, you know. And when I was working on All's Well, I went all the time. Um, the bar was very much inspired by Rockefellers, which is actually not like a, you know, it's not the best bar or anything, but it's got like these, these really, really high ceilings. And, um, and it, it feels like it could shapeshift into a stage <laughs> very easily. Like it's got a shapeshifty sort of energy to it, just the space does. Um, so I really um, was trying to conjure that sort of world um, when I was writing um, The Man, which is the bar in Allswell. Um, and again, that sighting of Steve Bannon, the, you know, in the middle of the day, this weird man at the bar at Rockefeller's, that's where I saw him. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was like a total sign. I mean, I think I wrote the pub scene shortly after I i, I went to the bar in the middle of the day in Salem and saw him there. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah.
0: Maybe, I don't
1: know. yeah. And because <laughs> like this is, I mean, you're pointing us towards the Shakespeare references, but Like Dr. Faustus and this whole idea, even in Damn Yankees, the musical that's based on Faustus. Like there's so many of these Faustian bargains. Usually whoever agrees to the bargain loses a part of themselves or they have to give up. So like, in your opinion, what does Miranda have to give up in this bargain? I mean,
0: I think she's giving up her soul. You know, I think ultimately that's what she's giving up. Her ability to feel pain mm. is a two-sided coin, you know? Um, and that's what she's learning as the, or not learning <laughs> as the <book laughs> is going on. She physically cannot feel pain. And that is actually incredibly dangerous. It is dangerous not to have any empathy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is what she's losing. But just as she's about to lose it entirely, you know, she's put through this incredible test in the form of that show um, in the black box and she still has enough of her soul left to, to um, salvage herself, but it's really that. It's the, abil- the ability to feel pain is exactly what she loses, which is what they said she would lose. Like that's what was there on the dotted line, but there's another meaning to that. Um, that she misses in her eagerness to have her wish fulfilled which is always the case in fairy tale oh you really want this better be careful what you wish for Mm
3: you know you
0: really want to not feel pain okay yeah be careful about that
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) we just have to look at into the woods for that right act one (laughs) is very bright and then a giant comes to start murdering the townspeople and But yeah, I, that's why I'm just, your novel is so groundbreaking in how you subvert these themes and how you go back to fairy tales, like how there is, like there's such an antiquity to your novel, even though it's so contemporary.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: I think it comes from, you know, all's well. I mean, I love fairy tale and I love working with fairy tale. and There are fairy tale elements to Bunny, um, there are even fairy tale elements, I think, to thirteen ways. Um, but it, this one really comes from that sort of that trickster figure that Helen is, she, that, that she's kind of a clever wench of fairy tale. Um, but but I think the play is interested in that careful what you wish for um, idea that fairy tale loves, you know? It is a wish fulfillment. Um, but who knows if Helen and Bertram are gonna end up being happy? I, I don't know. I mean, the play ends with them being together, but I don't know if that's really gonna be good for either of them, you know? <laughs> i mm-hmm. like, we have to wonder. We have to wonder. So it's, yeah, it's, it's great the way that it plays with those fairy tale um, motifs.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I just feel <laughs> like your novel... We got to so much (laughs) deep discussions. I didn't know we would talk about, you know, shifting in relationships and dynamics, but I'm so glad that, you know, you were so open Mona to even Mary and I parsing out what it means to feel the empathy, to feel someone's pain, but also, you know, can you question having a boundary and that being okay? Like when it starts to take away your own energy and like as we're you know nearing the end of our time like a character who I am really interested in is um you know well not just a character but the dynamic between we talked about the students but I really do think it's so interesting how Miranda kind of has pet students or like the ones who she thinks yeah. will pick her side. And there's kind of this uh, division that starts to happen, breaking down the ranks of the students and who's yeah. going to, you know, understand Miranda's pain. And, but like you said, she still has an authority over them. So that's not even an equal empathetic line yeah, of yeah, understanding. Think- so like maybe, you know, as we, you know, end this out, like, how do you, how did you think about the students? Cause they are so like each has such a different character arc.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, uh, Brianna is the ultimate antagonist of course, because she embodies everything that Miranda wishes that she could be, um, which is, you know, a young performer again. Um, I mean, she, Brianna is not talented. So Miranda probably doesn't want that, But she's got got money, she's got her whole life ahead of her, she has power, that's something Miranda doesn't have in her job. Um, And so it's, you know, she is a dark mirror for everything that Miranda wants and can't have. And then Ellie, I think, Ellie is another kind of mirror. Uh, They're both mirrors in different ways, Um, you know, and Ellie is somebody who is an outsider somebody who maybe Miranda would not have even noticed if she were back in her prime but she notices her now because of her ability to feel pain because of how much pain she feels she notices this girl who is kind of an invisible person you know in the sea of students but Miranda sees something in her you know so the the fact that she can have this weird kinship with Ellie and the fact that she has some animosity towards Brianna it's all just reflecting back her own stuff, <laughs> right? mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's, that's such, such an interesting thing about, I don't know, I guess about people, you know, that the, that the people that we can't stand are usually people who show us in some way, our own shame, our own grievance, our own fear, our own desire, you know? Um, so they're, they're always reflecting back how we see them says so much more about us you know than it necessarily might about them yeah
1: so truthful yeah. i mean i feel like i'm with a sage right now mona no pressure <laughs> but it's like the oracle at delphi um <laughs> but mary i'm gonna give you the last question oh, so no pressure for you yes. mary but
2: <laughs> my i guess and i i feel like we might have touched on this but like again i mean i love how your novel brings about this point of like physical pain isn't always just physical mm-hmm. and especially when it's chronic like that how it bleeds into every single relationship that you have and every other aspect of your life and how it's just not oh yeah it's just like not like oh yeah my back hurts or like my leg hurts like it's a lot more than that. And I just really, really appreciate how your novel just explores that. And because, again, I do think people who have chronic pain sometimes feel like they are alone mm-hmm. because of how their pain has affected their life. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a very lonely place. You know, that's something that I think I was really interested in exploring. Just the fact that pain is very isolating ultimately, because pain is, in many ways, incommunicable. Like, you cannot mm-hmm. articulate it.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: every time you try, and, and I again, I think this is something that, you know, it might just be specific to my experience, or might be something that other people feel. I, I doubt that it's just me. <laughs> but whenever I try to put it in words, I always feel like I'm faking, or I always feel like it's, I'm reducing it. I'm not actually communicating it. Like, there's something undermining about communicating it that almost sometimes makes you feel more alone like mm-hmm. it's it's the strangest thing and and i really tried to capture that when miranda is trying to communicate it to other people how it always she always just meets a wall because what she's giving is just these fragments and that's the best she can do yeah. mm-hmm. and, and you're not even in the best position when you are in pain to communicate anyway you know, because Mm -hmm. you're in pain. Like there's a scene that I loved writing so much, which is when, you know, there's this trial, Um, you know, Brianna is uh, accusing Miranda of witchcraft, you know, because she is now in pain. And Miranda has a voice of reason that everybody can hear because Miranda is well. So she sounds confident. She can be manipulative. She can gaslight Brianna. Brianna is trying so hard to express that she is in pain and that she has been wronged and she doesn't have the language. She cannot do it because she is in pain. So she is being dismissed, Mm -hmm. you know? So she is isolated in that moment. Um, So yeah, just that loneliness, I think I was, I was really interested in exploring that in
1: the book. Well, I think that's a great place. To end our questioning, <laughs> and hopefully you didn't feel like you were on trial, Mona. I
0: don't know it was great. It was a really a good,
1: good. Well, and I think as a treat for listeners or you know also the viewers of our video, if yeah, we can hold up the covers, I know Mona has yeah, the um, Canadian and the UK do. but so- just, yeah, to show how Miranda is depicted in yeah. the covers that Mona's showing right now. Right, it's yeah, and representations of pain.
3: Mm -hmm, In I
1: think the one with the arrows, which (laughs) is that, is the arrows the?
0: That's the Canadian one, and um, and they have like these. They're they they they've got like these rubber, you know. Um, Mm. but the idea is, of course, that yes, she's in pain, but it's a performance. Ah. Um, So sort of, again, that wry take on the pain that is in the book, obviously a very real thing. Um, And this one sort of plays with her. I love this one so much because she's levitating in it. And I just, that's one of my favorite parts of the book is that, you know, Miranda at one point feels so light that she actually begins to levitate slightly and it's dangerous, you know, so I love that the artist kind of captured that. And she's trying to still conduct, you know, direct the play. It's fantastic. Yeah, love,
3: yeah.
1: That. <laughs> well, and where can everyone follow you, Mona, to see what you're up to now?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I have a website, uh, monaawadauthor um, which I really don't update as much as I should. But I, but on Instagram, you can find me Miss Read, Miss with three S's. Yeah, yeah.
1: nice draft. pun. I like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. Well. From, you know, the bottom of our heart, Mona, this was so wonderful. I I know I learned a lot about
3: yes. <laughs>
1: just philosophical matters with your novel. So I can't wait to read what you have coming down the pipeline. Wow, thank you,
0: folks. Yeah, yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you, Mona. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime in Academia episode. You can watch our video versions of our episodes on Patreon.com slash Boiler Room. Join at the price of an iced coffee or join as an Ivory Tower member and get some of our exclusive merchandise. I could not be here without an amazing team. So I'm Andrew Rimby, the executive director, and I am joined with Mary DePippi, our chief contributor, who hosts True Crime in Academia. It comes out on Tuesdays. Jaren Usta is our marketing director, and our two interns are Nicole Arguello and Kimberly Dallas. And I'm actually here with Mary. So, Mary, where can they follow us on social media?
2: You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. On Twitter, we are at Ivory Boiler Room. And then just search the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Facebook, and you can like our page there.
1: Wonderful. And we. Mary and I and the whole team hope you all are healthy and happy, and we can't wait to join you and, you know, have you all join us in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room next week. Bye, everyone.
3: Bye. Bye.